Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. All right. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring on the CEO of the Brilliant Balance Company, Cheryl Ann Skolnicki. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I wanted to start off with what is your biggest mom win of the week? Oh, gosh. Uh, Okay. Biggest mom win of the week is that my daughter's high school went virtual unexpectedly, at least through Thanksgiving. So we're recording this about a week and a half before Thanksgiving. And she is working from my office in some sort of crazy reverse protocol we could never have seen coming a year ago, right? And she thinks it's the best thing ever. So that's my mom win of the week, having a place for her to still get out of the house and do school. So then where are you working? Are you at home? At the moment, because I record from home, but I've been in the, I am in the office typically. Nice. And so give us a little bit of background about your family structure, how many kids you have, ages, and kind of the roles that you and your husband play. Sure. So I have three children. I've been married for 20 years and my husband and I have three children. Our oldest is 16. And then we have a 13 year old son and then a 10 year old daughter. So 16, 13, 10, girl, boy, girl. And are all of them distance learning right now until Thanksgiving or just one? Okay. (laughs) Just one. Yes. (laughs) So I actually, today I had one in school full-time, one homesick and one working, uh, taking school for my office. Like welcome to 2020, right? (laughs) Which brings me into the next thing. So you are, I would say the queen and the expert of this whole work-life balance and how to manage your family. You had a corporate career, you're an entrepreneur now, but let's just talk first specifically about the pandemic right now. Working women have like are feeling, I believe, defeated and a little bit exhausted. They're way more overwhelmed, I think, now than even before, which is hard to even say that that's the case. But, you know, a lot of us are doing distance learning from home, are managing more household things than we were used to before the pandemic. What any tips or things could you give to these women to kind of gain back their power, especially so this episode's going to air in the new year. We're most likely still going to be in this pandemic. What can we learn from this? How can we start to regain ourselves after? Well, it's such a tender question, Stephanie. And I I think, you know, I don't want to in any way minimize or brush off the tremendous events that, you know, women have swallowed this year. And, And I think much like women have always done, there's this notion of commitment to doing whatever must be done right? For the good of our families, for the good of our children. And I think we've seen it in in Technicolor this year as women have just stepped up to say, 
I will once again do whatever must be done for the health of my family and the good of, of my children. So they've done that though at a pretty intense personal cost. All the data that we're seeing is we're nearing a million women now who have voluntarily left the workforce because the demands at home became excessive. Every piece of data coming out is saying that women disproportionately are taking on that burden at home, even relative to very committed, wonderful spouses like I have, like you probably have. There's still the lion's share of that burden being borne by women. So while I definitely don't have a magic pill or something that solves the problem, there are some frameworks that we've been sharing within our community that I think might be helpful, right? So let me just share one that, that we've, been, we've been talking about a lot. You know, I think historically we have had a team mentality at work. So anyone who has ever worked in a workplace would say like, oh yeah, I have a team there, right? And we collaborate and pitch in and we share tasks and we communicate and and we negotiate priorities and we get things done at work. And that team typically lives at work, right? We interact with them in a workplace. And then we have a home life, but we have not historically thought of the other people who live in our home as a team, right? And I think what is starting to happen in this pandemic is that work team has come home with us. And our home team, who was always there, is already at home with us. And all of a sudden, we're like squished in the middle of these two constituencies trying to meet their needs and play our role in those two teams. So the first thing I would say to anyone listening is think about that model of I have a home team probably consists of the people who live with you, maybe some extended family members or neighbors who are close in. And I have a work team, assuming that you're working. And how do I negotiate the work to be done for those two teams such that I don't collapse under the weight of it all, right? There'll be some renegotiation around the tasks at home. There'll be some renegotiation around the tasks at work. And most of the data right now is saying the more predictability we can have around what our needs are in those two places, more structure, more rhythm, more schedules, and the more flexibility that we can maintain when things go sideways, like my life today, when I have one home sick and one unexpectedly doing virtual schooling, the better we'll survive, right? The, the, the more we stay on our toes to kind of manage the needs of those two audiences. So I think the women who are feeling the best are actively renegotiating the dynamics of those two teams simultaneously. And I'm curious then, your own life, let's take a peek into how it works at your house. Give us a picture. Do you use that model? What does your behind the scenes look like on how you separate your home, your business, and manage to do all of that? Yes. So, I mean, I think I do, although I didn't really think about that model until the pandemic. This is kind of a a newly emerging idea. What I have always done is think about my day in zones. So what works for me is to say, can I create zones, even if they're rapidly transitioning from one to the other, where I know the primary role I am playing in that zone. And where I think we get into trouble is this notion of full integration. It's a very popular narrative right now to say, oh, work-life balance, that's outdated. And we need to have work-life integration where, you know, somehow I'm magically recording a podcast with a kid on my hip and another one playing at my feet. Like, it's just not practical. We, we rob ourselves of all focus, all enjoyment of either of those two activities when there's this full integration. So my model is to try to create a little more separation, candidly. You know, I think about a little bit of time in the morning that ideally is just for me, for self-care, working out, getting myself ready for the day, having a little bit of time to think, then moving into a zone where I'm a mom 
first and foremost. And their needs come before mine and their needs certainly come before work during that time until they start school. And then there's a good chunk for me at these ages where I can be fully dedicated to my work while they are fully dedicated to school and my husband's doing his job. And then I go back into a mom zone for a fairly long time in the afternoon and evening And I eke out one more short window just for me before bedtime when I might read, do some kind of a wind down routine around taking off makeup or doing out a mat, putting a mask on or something like that. That's truly about kind of winding down my day. But if you think about it, most of us are flipping through those kinds of zones. There's just sometimes less intentionality and then we feel a lot more conflict, right? So I try to keep it super intentional so I don't feel the conflict. How do you protect that? How do you protect that boundary? How do you protect that zone? So in the morning, you said you like alone time. I mean, I know I have young kids, so yes. alone time is there more like go. one on the boob, one, you know, waking me up. Well, I lived through that chapter. And and I think, you know, when my kids were young, what it looked like, practically speaking, I mean, I, I could remember this like it was yesterday, was uh, at that time I was a runner. I don't run now, but at the time I was. And so I would get up and pump before I would go to run. And then my husband would know that, okay, until I get back from that run and take a shower, if a kid wakes up, he is on duty because it was the one feeding a day where I was like, all right, I'm all night gone. I need to pump before I can go deal with this run. And then that equipped him to be able to feed a kid if they happened to wake up before I got back right? So very practically speaking, that was how I managed it in that era of my life. In eras where there were toddlers who might be up wanting a snack, wanting whatever, I would say, I'm working out in the home gym. Here is your device or here is the TV or here are some Cheerios. You can be right here, but I'm not going to pick you up. I'm not going to hold you because this is a time. So guess what? After some at-bats, they get the memo. You know, they start to understand like, oh, if I'm going to wake up and mom's working out, this is what it looks like. It looks like I can kind of play nearby, but I'm not going to get a lot of like one-on-one attention. But as soon as she's done, she's picking me back up and I'm, she's back in mom mode, right? They learn that pretty quickly. So to this day, my kids will respect that window. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's incredible. I wanted to go back to your podcast is called the Brilliant Balance Podcast, and you also have the Brilliant Balance. Can you define your definition of balance for me? Yes. So the first thing is what it's not. (laughs) So I am sort of, I came of age in the early 90s. So when I think about what were the visual images I was presented with around balance, it was very often a PowerPoint slide in a giant conference room with a scale. And on the two sides of that scale would be piles of rocks, right? Have you seen this slide or am I I like too old? Okay. (laughs) This was the visual metaphor. Like we've got this perfectly balanced scale and we're going to have balance. And I, I just... It never resonated with me. It never felt like it represented life, right? It was this very static image that somehow implied that if we very precisely balanced the scale and then stepped back carefully, it would stay there, you know? And that's just not what life looks like. My visual metaphor is quite different. The picture I get is always Misty Copeland dancing in the American Ballet. And when I picture Misty Copeland, and if you don't know her, she's a phenomenal ballerina, very strong and very graceful. And she, when you picture her moving across the stage in ballet, there is this ability to land the pose. So she's transitioning with strength and with grace, but there's twirling and there's movement and there's this dynamic energy. And yet every time it's time to land a pose, she can do it with precision. She does it with power. There's this sense of that is exactly where she is meant to be in that moment. And she intentionally landed there. That's how I think about balance. You know, my life looks like 
I have key moments throughout the day and they matter and I want to land the pose, right? In this interview with you, when it's time for dinner with my kids, if I'm waking someone up in the morning and telling them I love them and let's go greet the day, I don't want to mess that up by multitasking or being distracted, right? I want to be in those moments and then I have to know how to transition from moment to moment with strength and with grace and with beauty and poise. And that's my definition of balance, right? It's constant movement and, but staying on your toes. Right. A lot of times, you know, you hear that, like, just be present, like, you know, just what you're saying, strike that, be in that moment for a lot of us, you know, our mind is everywhere. How did you hone in on that skill to be able to do that? What can we do to like practice to get there? I think like, I love the idea of just everything, intentional action and, and, you know, just always being mindful about that. But a lot of us, our minds are everywhere. So how do you, how did you hone in and get that precision? Well, first of all, it's a practice. So I would never claim to be perfect at this. And just ask my kids if you doubt me, right? I mean, we're all a work in progress. There are two things that I think helped me set the stage or maybe give me a, give me a framework around why this matters and then how to execute. So first, why does it matter? I want you to think about someone in your life who every time you are with them, you feel like there is no one else in the world that matters. Somebody who you know that knows how to give you their full attention. And how does that feel? Like, can you picture somebody? Are you thinking yeah. of someone? Yes. Like, yes. Right. Everybody in the world has someone who knows how to make them feel that way. And it is, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. It is the most exceptional feeling when you are in the presence of someone that is able to melt away the rest of the world and say, what matters to me right now is you. What's on your mind? What's on your heart? What do you need from me? What are, what are we making in this moment? Right. And so that's my North Star is the few people in my life who have been able to do that for me. Some I know really well, some I barely know, and they still manage to create that, you know, emotional territory for, in every interaction. That's my North Star. The how is really about choices. It's really about deciding that you will do fewer things in any given day, in any given chapter, and that what sets you free is that you got to make the choice. Right. So when I've decided I'm doing this interview today and this made the cut, you can bet I'm going to be all in. Right. But I didn't cram things on either side of it. I don't feel distracted. I have care for the kid who's homesick and everybody's tended to so that I can have this moment. So choices. And then maybe I would add help. Right. Like th there's this need to not be superwoman, to know that it takes a village. And if you're going to be really a strong contributor in certain areas, you're probably going to need some help with the others, especially when you have young kids. That's so true. Outsourcing is, I mean, whether it's for your business, whether it's for your home life, what are the kinds of things that you outsource? And if you were to flash back, um, you know, say 10 years or stuff, what things would you have wished you had outsourced? And then what things do you keep today that are just messy? <laughs> like, why do I keep them and I should just not? Yes. Okay. So things that I outsource. The, the, the first thing we should talk about is childcare. So from the time I, I, I had a bit of a hybrid, I took three one-year maternity leaves when each of my children were born. My company had the opportunity to do that. Most of it was unpaid, but it was really important to me to have this time for myself to heal, to get acquainted with this new person. And, to, and it was like my three chapters of really being all in at home. 
when I went back to work, my mom and dad moved to the city that we live in. And my mom has been our essentially full-time nanny. We call her our full-time granny ever since. And I could not have done what I have done without that. So I never want anyone to have this false image of, again, like the kid on a hip and I'm typing out a blog post. It just, it didn't happen that way. You know, it was, she came in the morning when I was still in my corporate life. She came in the morning, my husband and I went to work and she was there until we got home. When I left and started this entrepreneurial chapter, I still had full-time childcare. So for me to be able to have created Brilliant Balance over the last decade, it just wouldn't have happened without that right? These days, she's our after-school care. So she still comes. She picks the two younger ones up from school and she's very involved in their homework and you know after school until I get home. And then I kind of pick it up around dinner time and take it from there. So that has been a massive blessing. If I didn't have my mom, I would have someone else doing that. Like that's, it, it's just imperative to how I think about that. Their needs are so significant to me, Stephanie, that I just couldn't piecemeal that together. It has to be a really holistic solution that I trust. That's first thing. We have a housekeeper, but it's I don't have somebody here every day. I have every other week kind of the big cleaning efforts get done um, twice a month. And those are the big things that get outsourced. So beyond that, it's been important to me that our family operate where we're all on this home team together running this household. And so that's my husband and me. My husband is very willing collaborator in that space. I love to cook. So like easy for me to keep that in the mix because it's a pleasure. He does a lot. He does a lot of laundry. He does a lot of dishes. He does all the outdoor care. So there's, I'm huge on decluttering. I hate clutter. So it's very natural for me to do that. And the kids have been sort of trained and equipped from early on to start to take part in the care of our household as a team. And that I can't even tell you for, you know, for you with young children and your listeners with young children, the investments you make in teaching and training and showing them the standard, they feel like they're never going to end, but that will just pay dividends for years and years, both in your home and in theirs as they grow up and, you know, move into their own households. Right. <laughs> you asked, what do I, what do I what not do leave, outsource? Yeah. Cooking. What do you leave messy or more like, you know, in the back end, some of us just are like, we don't care about that. It's like not worth your brain space or, you know, your, whatever that is. What do you leave messy that you're like, it's okay. In terms of physical clutter. Doesn't matter. Physical, mental, like what are just the things? Yeah. Like I don't do photo album. I do nothing around photos and like organization. Like I don't care if we ever print a photo. I don't care if it ever makes its way into a book. Like there's somewhere in the digital cloud. I have all these photos. I'll deal with them someday. Like that's probably a good example. I don't get, there are a couple of rooms I don't go in a lot. Like our basement to me is not like a place I spend a lot of time in. My husband does. So I can look past stuff there because I'm sort of like walking through it. The main rooms of our house I care a lot more about, but that's like, you know, I don't care. I have like some drawers that I don't care about because they, they're, you have to have a place, right? Yes. Where it's like, I definitely don't care. But, but clutter is one for me that I'm just super attuned to. So I do pay a lot of attention to physical order and why, because I have a strong belief that it, it creates mental clutter. Like if I see physical clutter, my brain is cluttered. There's this like loop relationship. And so to create calm in the chaos for myself, like the schedules are enough chaos, right? The homework and the noise is enough chaos. So the physical space being 
orderly really helps me like find that sense of calm. I love that. I call those kind of energy vampires because like, you want to let go of those things that are draining you. And I feel like clutter is one of those. I'm working on that. <laughs> I know I where everything I mean, is. I don't even but... think you have to. It's like my husband, I kept saying like, our living room is not a Toys R Us. So our living room is going to look like a living room and we have to have a place to, we can bring the toys out to play and then they have to go, they have to have a place they live. So my mantra is like a place for everything and everything in its place. And I have, I bought a home that has great storage so that things can get put away, right? And not be like physically out all the time. There's a couple zones in the house that the kids know, like, for example, shoes. You have three children. You're going to learn this quickly. Shoes like multiply. I don't know how it happens, but we have shoe baskets and they live in several places around the house. And I don't care which shoe basket you put them in, just get the shoes in a basket. That way I'm not looking at shoes everywhere. But if you're looking for a shoe, you can bet it's in one of those baskets, right? So it's, it kind of like shortens the, the search cycle of where to find the shoes. I feel like I wanted to do that. I bought baskets. I literally have three baskets and there's no shoes in them right now. <laughs> Your kids are they're training. You're in the training phase. Yes. Yes. Socks are another thing too. I feel like shoes, socks, they multiply. Like that, that multiplies. They multiply and disappear. So it's, it's no bueno on the shoe. The socks is bad. <laughs> I had a friend, they just went on a trip and she literally grabbed her shoe basket and just took it in the car with her because they were driving and they're like, it was super easy. And then I have a place when we go on our trip for all the shoes to land. We actually do that when, when we do car travel, there was a phase where I took a shoe bag and everybody's shoes went in that bag on the trips because there were so many shoes involved. <laughs> Just too many shoes. Yeah. Three is crazy. So I want to switch over to kind of your corporate to entrepreneurship transition. Sure. So I loved your episode on like living your purpose and about your little Venn diagrams and stuff. So you guys, I can link it in the show notes, but it was all about really like living your purpose. And I know you are living your purpose now, but I want to ask you, you know, what made you transition from the corporate to where you are today? What was really that push to just finally let go of your old job and to move forward? So this is also kind of a tender question, right? I mean, I look, I always thought I was going to retire from a Fortune 500 company. I mean, my dream in high school, in college was to get on a corporate ladder and climb as high as I could take myself and hopefully retire from the C-suite someday. So the decision to leave was almost surprising to me. And it was not easy to make because I had a very lucrative, very successful career. I was the primary breadwinner in our household. And I was very proud of that. And I was very proud of the success that I was having inside of a very traditional corporate structure. Contrary to what most people think, my desire to leave really was not about balance. It, it was, I mean, people think that because the company is called Brilliant Balance, but my desire to leave was more about an assessment of my gifts and talents and an understanding. I came to the understanding that I was not in an environment where my gifts and talents were going to be the differentiator. Like, in other words, I was never going to fully use my personal suite of gifts and talents in service to that company in a way that really let me play big. And that would probably make a difference. Yeah. And so because of that, it's like, look, anytime we bring the full power of our talent to something, we're going to make a bigger difference. 
But when you can take the full power, your full talents, and apply them to a problem or a playing field or an opportunity that you really care about, you're like, this thing is going to change the world. This is going to change people's lives. Now, like magic happens, right? So that was the journey was first about, I really want to get to do the things that are supernatural and like I'm the best at, right? I'm like a one percenter on these things. And then I want to use those in service to a problem that I really care about. Now, it took me a little while to discover what that problem was. So, you know, my first business, I only got it partly right. And then in this business, I would say this is a much more full expression of the problem that I want to solve. Did you have your children when you were working in your corporate job already? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I had the first two and I found out I was pregnant with the third right around the time I was leaving. Okay. And then what was your, I guess, step out of corporate? What was your first entrepreneurial role? Yes. So what I, my first business was in the health and wellness space. I really am passionate about food. Like it's a hobby. I love everything about food and health had become a passion. I always say like, I have a a long history with food, good and bad. Right. And so it came to a place where health and wellness and my relationship with food were symbiotic. And I saw a lot of women struggling and I was like, I think this is a place I can really make a difference is Um, sharing some of what I've learned and then also practically equipping them to cook and to understand how, you know, easy it can be to put good food on the table for yourself and your family. So that was my first business. And through the coaching part of that, it became clear that it's really never about the food. You know, the food is like broken when there's something else broken. And that's just symptomatically how that particular woman is reconciling, you know, the struggle. It could just as easily be alcohol. It could just as easily be shopping. But for some women, it's food. And so that became very exciting that I was like, well, what I really care about is how do I get these women to understand how brilliant they are? And how do I get all this noise out of the way so they can go really use their gifts to do something that really matters? I love it. Finding the root cause. Yes. That kind of became the seeds of Brilliant Belt. You were mentioning that you were the primary breadwinner then when you were in corporate. How did that transition go then, you know, saying, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to start (laughs) something. Like, what did that conversation? I have two kids and one on the way. How did that go? Great time for this. There was lots of wine involved. No, because I was pregnant with my third. (laughs) Let's see. So I have the best husband on the planet for this conversation. He is, you know, just has unwavering faith in my decisions and my capability and in my vision. And that is a gift to my husband's faith in me and in my vision has been a gift. And, you know, sometimes I get emotional when I think about it because I don't know if the tables were turned, if I would have had the same trust in him to say, you know, yeah, sure. Like, it'll all work out. (laughs) Go ahead, quit your job. And I quit Stephanie, like cold Turkey. There was no, so you didn't like side hustle. You didn't like start something and say like, okay, maybe this, I didn't know what a side hustle was like. I, yeah, there's a lot I would have done differently on that front specifically. I think I would definitely have stood up a side business. I had the opportunity to work less than full time. I could have done that and, you know, and kind of figured things out, but I know I jumped out and, and started figuring it out. And we have been, you know, it, we've been very fortunate, but I've also worked really hard to be at a place where, you know, we've, it's been fine. Like we've, we've more than made up for it. Right. But it took some time. Those early years were, were, challenging, um, especially because I had very young children while I was trying to get things started and I didn't have a clear business model. 
And I refused to invest in support because I was so freakishly attached to like profitability. <laughs> I just would not make investments in support. And eventually I did make some investments in support and coaching and kind of learning some models that really helped me unlock the growth that we've experienced since then. But it took a while. And you know, today, like when I sit here and we have a team of eight women and we've got a really healthy business and we're all across the country and in some parts around the world, like that's just gratifying that there was persistence toward this dream, but it certainly didn't happen overnight. And it could have happened faster if I would have had, if I would have let more help in earlier. That's for sure. Was there ever a point during there where you're like, oh, maybe I should quit. Maybe I should yes. go back to my corporate. It was like, yes. it was a nice safety net there. What pushed you forward? For sure. I mean, several, several dark nights of the soul where I thought, this isn't worth it. Like, this is just, I should just go get a job because I kept getting job offers. Like, candidly, people kept calling with job offers because of my background and they were very tempting. I took one of them. There was one chapter where I accepted a full-time role and did it for just under a year while trying to keep the business running on the side. And I took some consulting jobs, you know, with companies to do marketing work also. So, I mean, I did some of it. I did like a reverse side hustle, I guess. You're like, let's try this. Let's get a job. Yeah, let's, let's just go get some money and then come back. And and I look, I'm unapologetic about that. I think for people who are in that early stage of an entrepreneurial venture, like there, look, a dollar is a dollar. There is no shame in doing a consulting project or taking a job for a while if it helps you kind of refill the coffers and get some, where you can breathe. If you are feeling so much scarcity that you can't breathe, you can't think straight for your business. So you have to be at a place where, you know, depending on your personal risk tolerance, where you feel like you can breathe. And so that helped me until we really got the business model cranking. I think I love that because not only are you showing that it did take some time, like it's not overnight success. And I feel like in this day and age, in 2020, you see a lot of entrepreneurs just come out of nowhere, you know, we're this blah, blah, blah coach. And I'm not saying anything bad about them, but you know, there's a lot of this, like we can teach you to be an overnight success. You know, you're going to suddenly be making seven figures, you know, in a year and all of this magic will happen, you know, quit your job or just start your side hustle. And in four months you'll be making, you know, six figure months or whatever. So I like that because, you know, it does take time and you have to keep reiterating and trying things and figuring it out. I mean, going from a food kind of based company to what you're doing now is a very big journey. Oh, I mean, and I blew it up. Like I was almost five years in to the food and health and wellness business and really got clear, like I am not on the right path. I mean, this this is not it. And I am following someone else's dream and this is not mine. And so that was the second kind of massive act of courage was I'm going to shut that down and kind of rebirth something new that I'm coming from a standing start again. I mean, that's the time my husband really should have been like, what is wrong with her? But I think he could see in my eyes that I was very clear at that point that I knew this was it. And now I just had to like put the pieces in place. What was that point of inflection? Where was that like tipping point where then you started to just, it, it flowed? Well, when you mean like financially in the business, when did it hit that tipping point? Or when did you just finally figure out like I'm clear and then you just went with it and things just started happening? Like, what did you shift? Did you shift something mentally? Did you, was it like, okay, my business model's right. Like I'm wondering, is it, was it tangible or was it like a lot of mindset work? I, I regularly do like thinking days. 
right? Where I get out of whatever business I'm working on and process how am I feeling about things? What's working? What's not? There's lots of notebooks and journals involved. And during one of those days, it just became clear that I was building an operations heavy business. So the business was called Nourish. I had some coaching, but we also had a team of like in-home chefs who would go to a family's house and cook a week's worth of meals. It was like, this was pre-Blue Apron. So then Blue Apron came on the scene and got like 57 million in venture. And I was like, I am not going to compete with Blue Apron. I am not going to compete with HelloFresh and these companies that are dropping ingredients at your door. Like that is a distribution business. I don't want to be in that. I'm in a business that is that I think delivers a better service, but it's by definition going to be more of a cottage industry. Like it's not going to scale the way that's going to scale. And I don't really want to run this big operations heavy commissary hub, send these women. Like I, what am I doing? This is not interesting. You know, again, I'm, this is not going to use my gifts and talents. I'm chasing something because I want it to be investable, but I'm not going to be happy. And that was the realization. And it was tearful and it was heavy and it was like, crap, you know, I've been working against this thing and I didn't get my head up long enough to realize this is not the business I actually want to run. The business I'm growing is not a business I actually want to run. So that was the clarity was, you know, okay, what do I want my day-to-day life to look like? Again, what are the gifts and talents? And I had had one really important conversation with like a mentor who said, I think you have a big decision to make. Do you... And this was before I had actually confronted it, saying, you, ha- you, you have this business and it's going to work, but I don't know that it's you. <laughs> or you can go do this other thing that's going to feel scarier, but, it, but it's fully you. you know. And is, that feels like maybe it's the right path, but I think you're scared to take it. And he was right. You know, he was right. That's wow. So we're going to wrap up in a minute, but I wanted to ask a few last questions. One, what time do you wake up in the morning? 5.30. And what does the first 30 minutes of your day look like? Working out. Every day? Yes. (laughs) I need to start doing that. (laughs) I don't wake up at 5.30 on the weekends. It's a little bit later on the weekends, but I, that is, I am like religious about it. So I wake up and I mean, all I do is brush my teeth and put on workout clothes and then it's workout. And I work out in or near my house. So like in our home gym or right outside because I don't want to waste any time getting somewhere. And then 2020, just everybody got with the program that I've been on, right? But I've been doing that for years because it was an efficiency hack. So that really is the first 30. And then after that, ideally, everyone is still asleep and I can then get ready in peace, right? So that's my opportunity. I call it hair and makeup. You know, that's my chance to get in, take a shower, do my hair, do my makeup, pick out an outfit and jewelry, and then shift into mom mode a little bit later. But I don't, what I'm really passionate about is not looking at my phone and getting sucked into all the alerts and updates and notifications. Like I want, I want to fill myself with what I want to fill myself with in that first 30. I love that. And then a couple last ones. What is your mom's superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better at business? What is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom? Oh, that is a great question. I am not entire. I, I think I gained this from being a mom, but I would say reading people's minds. Like, does that sound crazy? That sounds like a real superpower. I I think like all my kids have a tell. 
I can tell you if they're not telling the truth, like immediately I can tell their emotions from like very specific little facial expressions. And I mean, it's, it's eerie. Like ask my husband how like it's eerie. Um, and I think it translates to other, like within my team or our client community that I think that intuition, the ability to just read people, it is pretty powerful. And it's one of the things I love about Zoom. And I feel like I'm, op- like I'm flying blind if I just try to do an audio call. Like I, it, I need that, uh, the nonverbals. That's why in my email, I was like, I know, you know, this video is not going to be shown, but I have to speak to someone. If I'm just talking, I, I can't interact. Dead. The as well. energy is totally different. Exactly. Yeah. And lastly, what is a survival tip? So I know you're a couple steps ahead of all of us here. And so, you know, what would be one of your big tips or survival tip for us moms right now, navigating, you know, the pandemic, navigating these early years of childhood, navigating all this and balancing a career and, you know, or wanting, you know, to excel at our career, what is a tip that you would give to us to look out for in the future so that we stay on track? Um, can I give you two? Yes. So the first one would be time alone at all costs. Like figure out how to get time alone. So that means asking for help because obviously you're not going to leave babies and toddlers home alone. But your ability, even if it means I'm going to go for a walk, if it means I'm going to go walk around home goods, if it means I'm going to get in my car and drive, if it means I'm going to take a shower, the ability to have time when no one needs you is the most powerful rejuvenator on the planet. I have had a lot less of it this year than ever. And you know, we, you and I were saying before we went live, the physical needs of parenting are very high when you have young children. The emotional demands of parenting are very high when you have school-age children and teenagers. So make no mistake, there's heavy lifting. It just looks and feels different. But that time alone is, it's so critical that you have time to think to reset your intentions, to have those conclusions, and to just have nobody need you. So that's the first one. The second survival tip is what gets scheduled gets done. The demands on your life have multiplied, right? If you if you think about your life when it was just you or then just you and your husband, and then all of a sudden it's you and your husband and three people and throw some pets in the mix. And I mean, all bets are off, right? The demands are just exponential. So the only survival mechanism through that is being rigorous about a schedule. And they work on all frameworks, you know, for the day, for the week, for the year, you can put things on a cadence, but it, there's so much freedom in knowing when things will happen and then adhering to that, that is survival tip number one. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Where can we find you? The easiest place is brilliant-balance.com. That's the kind of home base for all things Brilliant Balance. From there, you can get to the podcast. You can also look for the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's just called Brilliant Balance. Um, But like all of our social accounts and stuff are linked out from the homepage. Amazing. And yes, I love your podcast because they're short, they're easy to listen to, and they're such great takeaways. And I feel like I'm sitting in the room with you talking like now. Thank you so much and good luck with everything and navigating three soon-to-be teenagers. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. Thank you.